Psalm 29. A Psalm of David, ascribed to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the cedars. The Lord is of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and the strips and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Uh, we're going to now read from Luke chapter 2. Uh, it's on page 1032 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus, the governor of Syria, all, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray as we come to read God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every good thing you give us. 
We thank you, Father, for the gift of this day. We thank you for life and breath, for standing us up this morning. We thank you, Father, for health to be here. We pray for our friends who are not able to be here, and we pray that you'd restore them to our fellowship soon. And we pray, Father, for all of us that hear you speak as we read your word this morning, that we would listen and be transformed by your spirit. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 29. I have really enjoyed looking at this psalm over the last few weeks preparing for today. Um, I wonder though, uh, just before we look at the psalm, can you tell me what do all these guys have in common? What do you think, Anna? Uh, are those people? They are people, that's right. They're old people. Well, they're not actually. <laughs> That's right. What have they got in common, Jono? They're all rulers. What else? Serious conquerors. Serious conquerors, yeah. They all fell. They all Yep. Correct. It's <laughs> the so one thing they've had. They're all dead. At one time, each of these four guys, they were the powerful ruler in their space. Now they're all dead. No power anymore. At one time, nobody questioned their glory, their might, their authority. In the area of the world where they were, they conquered everything before them. And their glory and their might was unquestioned. And history's like that. We've had Hitler, Stalin, Chairman Mao, Pol Pot. I mean, the list goes on. Leaders who have conquered all before them until they didn't. And they're all dead. But power and glory in the world, we fear it, we want it, we admire it, we long for it. We're intimidated by it, and it's everywhere. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. It's one thing that musical got right, isn't it? Um, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Uh, it's always been like this. But, it, but ideas, philosophies, religion, they come and they go. Um, some ideas in history have held people in fear as if they were permanent and stable and unquestionable and everybody should bow before them. The earth is flat. The whole of the stars and the planets revolve around earth. The way to cure your diseases is to let leeches suck your blood. All of these ideas in their time were unquestioned and everybody who was anybody, everybody who wanted to be seen as legitimate followed them. Ideas, philosophies hold power over people and have a, have a power and a glory all of their own. And we can laugh off the historical ones, but have you ever stopped to think, I wonder what are the things that are believed today. I wonder what are the ideas today that 
it would be so unpopular, so ridiculous to question them out loud. And yet history will look back and think, what on earth were they thinking? That the value of human life depends on being productive and happy. Could you imagine going on a social media and questioning that? That I can ignore all of my history, my family, my heritage, my biology, my commitments, and I can be whoever I imagine myself to be. Could, is that an idea that could be questioned? See, in the middle of it, these things have a power, a glory, an authority that, that seems like you can't go past it. Be crazy to question it. And in Australia, what we've seen over just a generation is how those ideas have shifted. And a generation ago, even if people thought it was daggy and a little bit irrelevant, Christian ideas were at the centre of our society. And now we are very much on the edge. And that can feel threatening, can't it? I wonder if you feel like that. I wonder if you feel like you're living in hostile territory these days. Lots of competing ideas about um, those of us who would like to call ourselves Christian about what is powerful and stable and authoritative and enduring. What things cannot be questioned? So we can feel weak and under siege. What does it feel like when you think about the possibility of standing up in the midst of your unbelieving work colleagues or friends and saying, central figure in my life is Jesus? Or talking to your friends and neighbours and inviting them along to the Christmas carols in a couple of weeks? Do you already have a list of friends and neighbours who you would not invite? Conversations you'd say, no, I'm not even going to bother having I couldn't do it. See, it's easy to feel intimidated, to feel weak and under siege. And if you feel like that this morning, can I say, not only are you not alone, but there is nothing new in this at all. When David first wrote this psalm, Psalm 29, that's how he felt, or that was the world in which the Israelites um, lived at that time. Uh, I think we're going to get a great charge this morning by understanding this psalm uh, and understanding, because of it, our place in our world before God. So that's what I'd like us to do. Uh, this is one of the oldest psalms. If you've uh, got a Bible there, it'd be great to have it open in front of you. Psalm 29, page 553 in the Church Bibles. Um, we, we know this is one of the oldest psalms. It's got there right under the heading of David, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that David wrote it, but this one probably actually is one that David wrote. There's all sorts of things uh, in the names for the places that are used and that kind of stuff, which dates it right back with David, about 1000 BC. And in that time, the best and the brightest in Palestine, in that region of the world, followed Baal. And there's all kinds of details in this psalm that I think uh, are meant to remind us, or certainly when it was first uh, read or sung out, um, would have absolutely reminded people of Baal. So this is 
Um, it's a bit of a cheeky psalm, actually. It's a bit of a cheeky song which makes Baal look ridiculous. I think that's actually the point of what's going on. So I'll see if I can convince you that. Who's Baal? Baal was the Canaanite storm god of fertility and weather and war. Um, he's a good-looking rooster. This is one of the, the, the few... There's a few images of Baal and this is one of the ones that have uh, survived, a stone carving. Uh, the best and the brightest worshipped this guy at this time in Israel. They were in awe of the power of his storms. But by the end of the psalm, God, the ones who are feeling weak and vulnerable and threatened, are given strength and peace. So how do you move from a position of being under threat to a position of being strong and having peace? That's what this psalm's going to explain to us. Uh, and for those of us who feel under threat, under siege a little bit, uh, won't it be great to get to the end and work out how we too can be strong and have peace? Okay, into the psalm. Notice it starts with glory and power in heaven. So, um, with the angels, the heavenly beings, and they are being told to as ascribe. Um, if somebody stood in front of you and sh started shouting, ascribe! Um, what would you do? <laughs> um, start writing something down? Um, no, ascribe means acknowledge. It means say the truth. It means speak properly about this. To ascribe the truth of who God is. Specifically, they are being told to acknowledge that Yahweh, see the Lord in capitals there is, is the name Yahweh, that Yahweh has strength, glory like no other glory that is holy. God is covered, do you see there, verse 2? It's almost like he's dressed in pure and dazzling holiness, purer than any purity that you could imagine. More different, more distinct, better beyond compare. So holy and pure that it, it almost hurts your eyes to look and yet so beautiful that you can't look away. Holy array. And the psalm's beginning here with the angels being reminded, this is what God is like. Say the truth, ascribe that. There's no one and nothing else like him, incomparably great and glorious and powerful. And glory is what they're supposed to sing. Down at the end of the psalm, do you see in verse 9, all of the people in the temple cry out the same thing on earth that the angels cried out in heaven. So how do we get to there, from heaven to earth, and this song, glory? Well, because of verse 3. In verse 3, the, psalm, uh, the, the scene changes. It's like uh, the camera that was focused up in heaven and focused in on the angels pans down to earth. And as it pans down to earth... The voice of the Lord is over the waters, it says there. Just like in Genesis 1, where God creates. But this time, the voice of the Lord over the waters is not a voice of creation, but destruction. And there is a destructive storm brewing over the ocean. His voice rings out like thunder. 
If you can just picture in your mind the most ferocious storm you could remember or imagine. It goes dark. You see that bluey, purpley kind of tinge building out over the water and coming towards you. And that's the image the psalm is building. And the thunder... And the storm then makes landfall. And the storm makes landfall, we're told here, at Lebanon. So Lebanon uh, is to the north. The, The storm's coming over the Mediterranean Sea. And it hits land at Lebanon, just to the north of Jerusalem, to the north of Israel. Uh, Verse 5, and it breaks apart the mighty cedars. Now, cedars are a big deal for the Lebanese, right? Uh, The the cedars of Lebanon, you might have heard of that. But the Lebanese flag, do you know what's right in the middle? A cedar. They've got a coat of arms, you know what it's got on it? One picture, a cedar. Cedars matter to the people of Lebanon. Cedars are the last. In a world of and you can't be sure, this massive tree you can count on. The cedars of Lebanon. But when this storm hits land, boom, and they're gone. That's the power of this storm. The cedars are the thing that they are most proud of, that they draw their security from that they are sure will last, but not when confronted by this storm. In all of the the thundering and the lightning, verses 6 and 7 as we go through, it's like even the mountain ranges skip. There is nothing stable left. So Lebanon and Syria, and there are the name of two ranges, mountain ranges, as you come inland from the coast. And I don't know if you've been in one of those lightning storms where it's gone dark and the light like being in a 1980s disco all over again. You have that strobe light makes it look like things are moving and what looks like it's moving here is not kind of a person doing, you know, the moonwalk or something. What's happening is the whole mountain range is skipping like a calf. There is nothing stable, nothing that you have relied upon, nothing you think is secure is stable before this storm. And then the storm, I don't know if it kind of circles down to the south or whether the storm is actually coming in a pincer movement, like it's one of those enormous cyclones that's gathering on both sides. But the next image we get is from the south, from south of Jerusalem, from down in the desert of Kadesh. Um, And it's verse 8 down there. And then the forests are stripped bare. And if Lebanon is proud of its cedars down south, they're proud of the oak tree, which again is the massive thing you can absolutely rely on. This proud, glorious tree. But do you see what happens? It's stripped, naked. The tree is somehow ashamed. The tree. In fact, not just the tree, the whole forest. This imagery of the storm, like I said, is a cheeky mockery of everything that the Canaanites feared and everything that they put their trust in, that they thought was secure. You think 
Baal is a God of a storm? Well, have a look at this storm. You think you can rely on the mountains, the trees, the God? No, all levelled before this storm. This storm is terrifying in its power. And there is no mystery about what's going on here. It is the voice of the Lord. And again, we're reminded here, it's the voice of the Lord. And we are to recognise the Lord's glory. The glory of that voice. It's the voice that is so powerful and majestic, verse 4. It's the voice that does all of this. But did you notice the voice of the Lord and the Lord cannot be separated? It's like... the. God and His Word must not be separated. You hear some people say, yeah, I trust in God, but I don't believe the Bible. I trust it. No, no. The voice of the Lord and the Lord do the same thing again and again. Have a look with me. Verse 3, do you see it's the voice of the Lord that's over the waters, but down at the end, it's the Lord that's over the waters. Or verse 5, the voice of the cedars. Who breaks the cedars? Down at the end of the verse, the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord, verse 8, shakes the desert, but then, down later, it's the Lord that shakes it. When the voice of the Lord is said to be doing something, it's the Lord that's doing it. The Lord creates, the Lord judges, the Lord destroys, the Lord upholds, the Lord brings life. All that He does is by His voice. He speaks and it is. It's the Lord. So when this encircling temple uh, storm coming up from the south through the desert, down from Lebanon and the mountains, as it comes together, the focus is now on the temple. Now, just in case you're thinking, yeah, well, that was a massive stone building and it's only a storm, they'll be fine. Um, who's the king at the time? says so right at the top, just under some, David. <laughs> the temple doesn't get built until his son. So when it says temple, it's actually talking about a tent. So, how is a tent going to stand up to the storm that has shattered the cedars and stripped the oaks and made the mountains dance and now it's coming in on the tent? But do you see what happens when it gets to the tent? Those who recognise Yahweh sing out, Glory! Glory! All who know His name, who glory they cry, just like the angels did in heaven. And when that happens, when that happens, this God who sits over the flood... Verse 10, not a flood, the flood, Noah, judgment, destruction. That God, that God, the king of the universe, this mighty God, this strong God, gives strength to his people. You see? And he blesses them with peace. Isn't that incredible? Where does this strength in this? It comes from that God. That God who can do all of that. What an image. 
And if you think that's a powerful image for us, imagine if you were a follower of Baal. Imagine if your whole life you thought, ooh, there's a bit of lightning on the horizon, (laughs) Baal's at work, and now you hear this. And you're put in your place. It's an image though, right? It's an image, It's it's a metaphor. What would it actually look like for the voice of the Lord to crack over our heads this morning? What would it look like to be overwhelmed by this voice today? What what has God done in history that would show us what it's like when he comes like this, this mighty, powerful God of all? What's it going to look like? We've got a hint in our Bible reading. And when I say hint, I just mean the answer. It's Luke 2. God actually tells us exactly what this is going to look like. When the voice of the Lord comes to earth, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in a field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you hear it? The shepherds caught a glimpse and were terrified until they were told to calm down and not be afraid because this was good news. This visit of the voice of the Lord, of God himself, was the day God took on flesh. And was born as a baby. And did you hear there that the angels were doing on earth exactly what Psalm 29 said they should do? What do the angels do? They're singing glory. And because this is happening, this coming of God produced exactly what Psalm 29 said it would produce on earth. Peace. Do you know, every Christmas I can remember, this bit of the Bible's been read out and I've never known that connection. Until two weeks ago, I'd never seen that. What about you? You read this part of the Bible, you heard it read out, and you think, oh, that's so nice. It's not nice. It's awesome. Incredible, powerful, overwhelming that God would come to earth like this and do this. See, everybody loves baby Jesus, don't they? We all love baby Jesus, but we, do we respond to the voice of glory 
and power when we celebrate Jesus. Is that what we're doing? We're just like babies surrounded by farm animals. What is it we celebrate? See, to respond to Jesus properly, to enjoy his peace, we've got to do what the people at the temple did in Psalm 29. We've got to do what the angels did. We've got to cry out, glory, glory, might, majesty, power, authority. No one, glory. Remember Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Hengis Khan, all the rest of them. The ones who were considered powerful, who looked powerful, who looked authoritative, whose kingdoms were glorious, who people did say, wow, glory, all dead. None of those kingdoms going on. And earthly kingdoms have come and gone, they continue to come and go. And Baal seemed so powerful. You'd struggle to find a Baal worshipper these days though, I imagine. Gone. Fleeting. Weak. And that's a warning, isn't it, for anybody who would puff their chest out and want to say, look at me. Look how powerful I am. I'm the president of... Well, no. It could be anybody. (laughs) But what a foolish, foolish thing to do, right? To think that we might have glory when in comparison. Well, in comparison, there's actually a complete contrast, isn't there? Because if you're looking at Christmas Day for power, it's a little baby. Or at Jesus' life and his death. Do you see what looks like glory and power as you see him murdered, crucified, in apparent weakness? He doesn't doesn't look glorious. You see the contrast. The ones who look powerful, who look glorious, and Jesus. And around us today, There are all kinds of voices that seem powerful, that seem authoritative, that have the megaphone of the media or that have more likes and more followers than you do. Those those powerful voices and Jesus. And the contrast is extraordinary. But Jesus came in weakness to bring peace, to conquer every enemy, even the enemy of death. He looks weak, and yet he is the mighty ruler and judge of all. And we cry glory to him. Or do we? Do we recognise that glory, or are we intimidated by the voices around us in the world? So we all cry glory. The question is, For whom? What is it that we think is glorious? Do we cry glory for the same things as our friends and neighbours who don't know Jesus? Or do we recognise in that amazing contrast 
that the one who appears weak is actually powerful. The best and the brightest in David's day followed Baal and the Bible's verdict is they were fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The best and the brightest in our day, they might follow the social trends, they might be winning in the race to be liked and to be influencers, to be pleasing themselves, they might be getting rich, they might be living their best life today, ignoring God and pretending that He doesn't exist. And the verdict of the Bible is, it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. So whose voice will we listen to? Whose power will we bow before? When I said before, do you feel kind of weak and intimidated and under threat? If you think those voices are powerful, you will feel that. But if you recognise the power of God, the voice of the Lord, the coming of Jesus as the true expression of power and authority and glory, then those other voices pile away. And if with that mindset, just for a moment, you think, what is the worst thing that could happen if I actually spoke to my unbelieving friend or neighbour and mentioned how much Jesus means to me? What's the worst thing I could imagine happening? That they don't like you? It's a big world. There's lots of other people out there, right? <laughs> Do you know there's no easier time of the year to mention the name of Jesus than right now? You go into Westfields, even they're singing his song at the moment, aren't they? It's, it's the easiest time of the year to do it. So imagine this kind of conversation with me. I, I think you could have this conversation tomorrow, this afternoon... And you might be surprised how well it goes. You can begin with this confronting line. What's your favourite thing about Christmas? Your friend might have all kinds of answers. Love the family, love the holidays, love the good food. You're going to love the things they love as well, because who wouldn't, right? But you can respond, yeah, me too. But even better than all of that is what Jesus came to do. Do you reckon you say that out loud? Even better than all of that is what Jesus came to do. Jesus has completely changed my life. Now I'll let you follow the, the next line after that. But I, just, if you just get those two lines out, even better than all of that is what Jesus came to do. He's completely changed my life. If you just manage to spit those words out, I'll tell you, you've got a conversation coming. They, they can't, if they're any kind of human being, not say what? How? And now all of a sudden they're asking you to explain the gospel of Jesus to them. So do it. I don't know what you might say. But are you ready to cry out, Glory to Jesus, to lift his name up, just in a simple way. Doesn't matter, you don't know the details, but you, you might say after that, do you know what? <laughs> I'm hopeless with the words about this kind of stuff. But if you come to carols with me, somebody else is going to explain it to you. 
Who might you invite? Do you know, it's great to celebrate the coming of Jesus at that first Christmas day, but just imagine the last day when he comes back again. Just imagine what it's going to be like at that celebration. Imagine what that will be like. On that day when it'll be absolutely crystal clear where the glory and power lies. On that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. Glory. Do you know on that day, I, I, I know I'm not going to cry in heaven, so I probably won't be able to remember this, but I, imagine how ashamed I would feel about all the times I bottled it and I had an opportunity to say something about Jesus and I didn't cry glory, I, I bottled it. And imagine, imagine the feeling I'm going to have on that day when I look around me and see some friends who I did talk to about Jesus. And for all eternity, they'll be there with me celebrating forever. Imagine that day. What a great day that will be. We have good news of great joy. A Saviour was born. He is Christ the Lord. And the angels and we cry glory to him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for every good gift you give us, but mostly we thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we pray just over the next days and weeks as we head towards Christmas that we might use this time to tell somebody else just how much it means to us that that day in, Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, a saviour was born, Jesus, the King. Father, we pray by your spirit you'd move in our hearts that we would cry out glory. Amen. Please stand with us.